Happy Monday, and welcome to the fourth episode of The Sneak Preview, our newest podcast following Filmgasm and Oscar Sunday. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Austin Johnson. This podcast follows the current movie calendar, except when the pickings are rather slim, like this week. So today, we're experimenting with a little recast action. We're both huge fans of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, comprised of the films Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. So we thought it would be fun if we went through one of our favorite franchises and reimagined it with different actors who we think are up to snuff to play these celebrated characters. What do you think? That sounds like fun. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, this is <laughs> so far up our wheelhouse. Uh, you know, this is what we do for fun. You know, uh, cur- currently we, we just finished a Lord of the Rings quote draft. Uh, me, Connor, and my two older brothers and these are the kind of things we do with our spare time. So doing a, doing a Batman recast, sign me up. I'll do it. You know, you, you give me five minutes and I'll be ready. <laughs> hey guys, yeah, this is going to be very interesting. But first, we need to see what happened last week in film. Last week in film. So let's uh, let's start on a rather somber note. Um, character actress Mira Furlan, known mostly for her role as Danielle Rousseau on ABC's Lost, has passed away at 65 years old due to complications from West Nile virus, of all things. Uh, yeah, out of left field, this one. Uh, Lost, big show to both of us. Yeah, and, uh, very much so. The introduction of the character of Rousseau was the first time we realized the island is bigger than we thought. So yeah, she was a very significant character and I, I thought she did a really good job and she will be missed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I think it's important to speak on things that you know of within someone's life. And that's definitely what we know is lost. And speaking on, you know, like you said, that moment when you realize how massive this thing is, how this isn't just an island. There's there's ideas happening. You know, there's a much bigger picture. She's totally a part of that. Totally a part of the tone changing completely in the show where you really were, you know, this is like an adventure show. It, it gets very, very thrilling as that stuff starts happening and, and Benjamin Linus pops up and oh boy, you know, I get chills just thinking about those moments and she's 100% uh, a part of that. So, you know, it, it's, it sucks to see anybody that you... Yeah, you fell in love with her as a performer, and she's 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 one of the better characters of that show for sure. Yeah, damn shame, especially West Nile virus. That's so, you don't hear about that a lot anymore. Brutal. Um, so this week two trailers were released that I'd like to discuss. Um, first up, Boss Level, starring Frank Grillo, Mel Gibson, Naomi Watts, and Michelle Yeoh. This looks like the craziest fucking movie. It's Groundhog Day, like if it was an action movie, basically. Uh, yeah. You get a chance to check out this trailer? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about trailers before. This is one that I watched just like, yeah, let me see if, see if this is real, see if the tone, what the tone is. And I'm in, I'm in, I'm a huge, huge Naomi Watts fan. I think she's wonderful. So I think I'll watch anything she does. And then you, like you said, the groundhog day, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. And I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, I think it's going to be fucking stupid. It's going to be ridiculous, but I'm, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, you know, we, what's wrong with a little stupid now and then? A little bit of bonkers, a little bit of, yeah, 
something for filmgasm. Yeah, I think it looks goofy. I I love that Mel Gibson is in that phase of his career where he's just taking whatever the hell he can get. <laughs> he's yeah, it's great. Melly Gibson. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love uh, that Key and Peele sketch when they do the oh Melly Gibson. You know, <laughs> they start naming off his his roles like all of his like oh but this one and this one yeah it's so good <laughs> that's what i think of when i think of uh modern mel gibson yeah it's it's pretty nuts i have a a behind the scenes story i don't think i should share on the podcast regarding mel gibson any personal connection i have but uh i'll tell you when we're done recording because i don't want to get anyone in trouble <laughs> oh wow all right um sounds second, good yeah it's crazy <laughs> The second trailer dropped earlier today. We're recording this on Sunday, the 24th. And this came out of nowhere. It was not expecting to see it. Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't need to watch that trailer. I don't need to that. I don't need that trailer. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> it's fucking you know, crazy. As, especially since I know it's coming to HBO Max. It's going to be right here on my home screen anyway. I'll just wait. I'm going to be able to see it on a thing I have already. So yeah, not getting pushed. We are getting this movie this year in a couple months, March 26th. And uh, it looks crazy. Yeah. I'm very excited for this um, in the trailer. Uh, not really clear why they're fighting. I'm sure we'll figure that out. Um, there's this epic moment where Godzilla launches his nuclear fire at Kong and Kong picks up some kind of a building or some shit and blocks it while he jumps towards towards Godzilla and just kind of like lowers it, lowers the fire onto him. It's, it's fucking cool. Just watch the trailer. It's nuts. And if you're a fan of either of these properties, you are, I have a feeling we're not going to be disappointed. So I'm psyched. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very much excited. Uh, monster movie fans get excited. Cause we'll definitely do an episode on that. Get excited. I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh speaking of getting excited here's some stuff not to get excited about it was a big week for delay announcements so let's go through all of those these are all the films that have been announced uh to have been pushed no time to die october 8th inevitable sucks one day i hope to see this movie <laughs> it's the only movie i wanted to see last year and it's the only movie i want to see this year and that might not happen <laughs> again. Wait, what, okay. When you say the only movie you want to see, yeah, I know, I, I know, I think I know what you mean. But hypothetically, would you trade everything HBO Max is releasing this year just to be able to see that James Bond movie? I would trade everything HBO Max, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, <laughs> and every other theater release coming out this year to see No Time to Die. That's all I care about. That is so, all yeah. I care about. So if you could see just the one film, that would be the only new, technically new film. Everything else you watch is from the past. Yes. <laughs> I don't I think understand. you understand how important no, I, this no, movie I do. is. No, I do. And you know what? You know what I also understand? I also understand that you like watching stuff from the past. So you have no problem taking a year off. Yeah. And just loading up and then your knowledge will be insane because I know, I know you try to watch, you know, 50, 60 new releases each year. So if you're, you take all of those away and those all get to be old watches, I think you'd benefit from it either way. So yeah, I see it, man. I see it. And then next year 
everything that came out this year is now in the past and I can watch it again. But my point is I've been waiting for no time to die for what is it now? Six years. <laughs> and I'm, I'm tired of this. I want, I want to see this movie. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what Daniel Craig's swan song is. And I want to see it before some dickhead leaks it online. <laughs> I understand. So yeah, I've just, it's, it's obsession at this point. I've just, I'm, I'm tired of these delays. I want them to just make a deal with a service or something, but MGM is, you know, insisting theater release or nothing, which is unfortunate for us. So until this all gets sorted out, it's just going to get pushed farther away. Do you know of the Greek legend of Tantalus? Yeah. The guy who always had just outside of arm's reach. Yes. (laughs) It's made yeah, yeah, yeah. movies this year. Oh my God. Uh, moving on, Antlers uh, moved to October 29th. That got pulled from last year's release calendar and uh, finally has a home. So hopefully that comes out around Halloween. Nobody pushed to April 2nd. That was supposed to come out in February. Bob Odenkirk's John Wick-esque action thriller. Uh, I really hope we get to see that. That looks really fun. Yeah, I wish that would just come out on one of the, one of these lovely streaming services. Yeah, I don't know why the like theater, why these studios are holding it back. I mean, I think HBO Max and Warner Brothers deal is going to prove to be incredibly profitable for both of them. And hopefully, you know, as we go along the year, these other studios wise up and realize that theaters just isn't, it's not happening right now. You got to let it go. So <sighs> last night in Soho, October 22nd now. That was uh, Edgar Wright's new movie that's been very uh, under wraps. Nobody really knows what that's about. I've heard it's a horror movie. It's a comedy. It's an action. It's kind of everything. So Edgar Wright. Yeah. Yeah. You you give me Edgar Wright. I'm in immediately. So yeah. The King's Man. God, what a tumultuous journey this film's had. August 20th now. Oh, this was supposed to come out, I think, February. or I think November 2019 was the original the release date of this thing. And it's just been pushed farther and farther away. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, these, I, these movies, most of these that we're talking about, I don't really, don't really see, see an end, you know, if they're going to hold out, so be it. I just, I think the fans are going to lose interest at some point with most of these uh, i think i think i think a no time to die is safe i think whenever it does get to drop people are going to go nuts and and want to see that but i think some of these are going to like you know lose that momentum whereas yeah. whereas look at look at the momentum something like even you know denzel washington robbie malik jared leto the little things has you know it has this it's there's like you know commercials everywhere for it and it's coming out at the end of the month <clears throat> through HBO max. And just seems like that's the right way right now for a movie to be advertised, to be promoted. And this is where you can see it, download the app. And with these other movies that keep getting pushed and pushed and you don't really know what date to rely on anymore. You're like, Oh, I guess in the summer or the fall or next year, who knows you, you, you start to lose that excitement, that anticipation because you don't know when that date's going to come. So then all this other stuff is coming out and you're like, well, I'm going, I'm not going to stand around. I'm going to watch this other stuff. You know, I'm going to watch the one night in Miami. I'm going to watch the pieces of a woman. I'm going to watch, you know, 
the white tiger, all these random things. Cause that's, what's coming out. That's what decided to do something. And yeah. you, you can't blame us. You know, you can't blame the, the consumers if they do lose sight sometimes of, of movies like nobody, or if they get pushed and pushed and pushed, you know, you know what I mean? They have momentum, then they, they can lose it too. Well, I seem to recall on one of these shows, either you or I said that the blockbuster is dead. And for now it really is. There's, there's no way for these films to be profitable in a theater. It's just not possible. And some studios like H, like Warner Brothers are looking at other avenues. And I think it's time for all of them to start looking at other avenues. The product is what matters at this point. Just, you know, release it, make a deal, get your $300, $400 million contract signed, and then give us a movie. Um, yeah, and, and move on, move on for everybody else's sake, too. I mean, for, for the artist's sake, for move on to your next project, move on to the next thing. You know, this is what it is. Like you said, just kind of, you kind of got to make a deal. Uh, it's very hard for, I, I know a lot of artists are in, like, they're so lost right now. You know, there's, you know, small filmmakers that are like, well, what do I do? You know, right now, what do I, what do I do? I need that, that turnaround. I need that turnover uh, from the theater because these, these streaming services aren't going to buy my movie because it's too small. They don't know who I am, you know, and that, it's a frightening place. It's a frightening place for the industry to be, but you you do have to at this. You have to have that balance. You have to have a little bit of awareness and know what's going on, uh, even if it is scary. Well said. Um, a quiet place part two pushed to September seventeenth. Uh, yep. <laughs> and finally, Uncharted pushed to February of twenty twenty two. Yep. <laughs> that movie was in production hell way before COVID. I. I, I wonder if that'll even happen. Uncharted. Well, that's all for uh, release delays. Now for some more, uh, for some positive stuff. A24 has announced they're releasing Minari on demand on February 26th, following its theatrical release on February 12th. So we wait a couple weeks and we're going to get to see Minari. Yeah, very excited about that. I definitely want to try to try to talk about that a bit through the through the show and think it's a film that'll get a certain word of mouth once it once that that uh second wave hits of not just being released in the theater but also being released to to rent and uh for people to see i I think it's going to gain a a certain word of mouth that'll be kind of impressive yeah i think so too and i'm looking forward to it i I, i'm I'm excited to see steven yen get a some possible oscar attention Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt. I, I definitely think he's going to be in that race for best actor for sure. Uh, this was very interesting. Comedian Jim Gaffigan has been cast as Mr. Smee, Captain Hook's first mate in Disney's upcoming Peter Pan and Wendy. It's perfect. <laughs> Gaffigan perfect. and Smee. I never would have thought, but that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I totally see it. And I, yeah, he's going to nail it. This is going to be interesting. Uh, Peter Pan and Wendy. I wonder why they're calling it Peter Pan and Wendy. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure the movie will probably not follow the same plot as the animated Peter Pan. No, they're going to involve the female character more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and definitely stray away from some stuff that's not so good. <laughs> In yeah. the animated one. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm excited to see Jude Law play Captain Hook. I think he's an interesting choice. And uh, I mean, he's, you know, he ain't going to be no Dustin Hoffman. 
but uh, he'll do his best, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Damon has joined the cast of Thor Love and Thunder, set for release May 6, 2022. His role is under wraps, probably a return of the shitty actor from Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> yes, which is totally cool with me. <laughs> it's weird that he's just become attached. Like He had a cameo in Deadpool 2 as well. Like, Why is Matt Damon just popping up in these big budget superhero movies and cameos? I don't know. I think I think Matt Damon, you know, as I've, you know, as we as you and I as we get older, you know, moving into our twenties, mid twenties, and kind of look back as we've you know kind of watched all of Matt Damon's career, you know, and seen kind of everything he's done, and I think he has a certain respect and like just love and passion for for movies. In general, you know, I think he like loves to work in the same way that like Adam Sandler loves to work. Like, just give me something, give me, give me something to do. Like, let's just, I just want to show up, I want to hang out with people that I, that I, you know, that are like minded and I want to make movies. He just seems like that kind of a cat. And I love him for that. I really do. Matt Damon is <clears throat> someone I, anytime he's brought up, I, I got to ask, what, what's his best role? Probably Goodwill Hunting. I got to go a year later, Rounders. I knew, I know, I knew you were going there, and that's a great one. But he brought something very human and believable in Goodwill Hunting that just sets it apart to me. But I understand I totally get why you picked Rounders. It's a fucking great movie. You could, you could even fast forward a little bit, and I mean, he's he's pretty damn good as Jason Bourne. Holy shit! Yeah, the Bourne movies don't have the same longevity as a lot of, you know, other action franchises. <coughs> I don't know, especially the first one. I agree with you. I, to an extent, I do, I do love the music in, oh yeah. In uh, the, all, all three of the Bourne films that'd be, you know, identity, supremacy, and uh, ultimatum. And I think Matt Damon does a damn good job in all three, but I agree with you. I think there's times in the first one where it's a bit stale and times in the third one where it's a bit stale, but I really like Supremacy. I think that's a solid, solid movie. Uh, you got, uh, what's his name? Carl Urban. Awesome performance. Carl Urban. So wrong. yeah, yeah I, I, I do enjoy some things about it, you know, and, and Matt Damon just kind of, he has that, that ability just like when, when he's, you know, just, running around with a gun like i i'm i'm just kind of in i just kind of want to watch even if it's not the greatest action scene uh, i there's something about him i get that i think i love paul greengrass's direction i think he really like made supremacy of, of more than any of them stand out for me i just got tired of the the whole he's not the real brains behind the organization it's this guy and then it's not it's not really him it's this guy and it's not that guy it's tommy lee jones i just I got tired of that so much. It's the same story every single time. I understand. I understand. And you're 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 a you're a Bond guy, so there's not. Yeah, that's too. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing. Uh, Jason Bourne can do to surpass Mr. Bond. If you've learned anything about me up to this point in this episode, it's that I am indeed a Bond fan. <laughs> I I don't know who my uh, like go to action star is, you know, action character. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, my mind went to John wick. Honestly, I, he, 
he is just <laughs> he's lightning, lightning and thunder at the same time. Uh, but I, but I'm also a, a neo guy, so that's tough. You know, Keanu kind of takes up a big big part of that for me. I love James Bond to death. I love almost every film. I think every actor brings something special to the role. Yeah, they're so great. But John Wick would kill him in his sleep. Oh yeah, that's a whole different. <laughs> Yeah. John Wick is probably different. the definitive action hero at this point. I totally agree with that. <laughs> I, yeah, I was. I'm even saying like for me, because because for my my favorite, because I'm not like attached to Bond or or even someone like Bourne. I'm, I was just trying to, you know, I'm not not really like an Ethan Hunt guy. I'm not a big Mission Impossible guy, so uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure who it would be for me. I don't know. So it's a fun question though. So it's a it's a fun thing to to bring up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, Matt Damon, Thor: Love and Thunder. Excited uh, to see him <laughs> be some goofy ass dude again. Uh, yeah. This was very interesting. Uh, Seth MacFarlane has announced his desire to remake The Naked Gun with Liam Neeson as Sergeant Frank Drebin of Police Squad. <laughs> wow, have you How seen The that? Naked Gun? Yes, I have. I have. I'm, I'm not like a huge fan. I I know it has this you know massive audience, but it it's got some really funny moments, and I I think I think that's something that's interesting that could be brought back up today. And and I feel the same way as like Dolomite, you know, from a little over a year ago. Just like that that's a that's a cool thing to bring back up to pop culture. Yeah, Seth MacFarlane is you know huge '80s movie fan. We know that from everything he's ever done. Yes, and. Obviously, him, him and Liam Neeson have become friends in the past, like, 10 years, which is crazy. <laughs> and So weird. I think to see Liam Neeson, you know, I've seen him in some brief comedy roles, like that bit he had in Ted 2 where he tries to buy the, the trick cereal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, he brings that kind of, like, passion and attitude to the naked gun. That could be really funny. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think, I think it's a good idea. <laughs> so if I purchase this, I won't be followed. It's <laughs> crazy. Oh, yeah. Special, saw, special, special set of skills. I just saw the marksman. So Liam Neeson is fresh in my brain. And if he's, you know, really honest and intends to finally retire from action movies, maybe he's intending to go to comedy next. Yeah. I, I think he's best at, and there's even been, a, you know, a couple from like the past 20 years, like gangs of New York and silence when he takes on, or even fucking star Wars, when he takes on like a supporting role and there's just something about him that makes sense in that kind of like character actor realm. And he just is like, no, I'm an action star. I am an action star. And it's like, no dude, like, uh taken no man like no it's it's you, you know a lot of people joke about that one right and i i just i guess like selfishly i wish he did more of those kind of supporting like movies that have really good scripts and he's taking on these characters that are just kind of badass and they're they're there for for just an, an amount of time that feels just right uh especially silence man holy hell i thought he was unbelievable in that i had no idea he had that in him uh in 2016 that was amazing my favorite liam neeson performance is one we're going to be talking about at length today it's it's 
it's Ra's al Ghul. Okay. Well, yeah, yes. That's a great example. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking. Gangs of New York, dude, fucking get out of here. Like he, he like, yeah, he like pierces you and he's not on the screen for, for very long at all, but he, he really does the beginning stages of that film. I, I think that's where he's best suited. I really do. He's one of those actors who is at his best when he's playing characters, but has gotten, you know, sucked into a paycheck gig black hole just like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like to see these guys get out of that. I'd like to see these guys reclaim some, you know, some skill and get to be actors again. I'd like to widows. see Widows. Yeah. He's pretty good in Widows. He was there. That was, a, that was close. He almost got out of the hole, but then he did the marksman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he does Silence and, and Widows, but in between those, he does, yeah. The marksman, marksman. and that one where he's in a fucking snowplow. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. I don't, you know, come on, stick with the, stick with the other ones. (laughs) Ah, Yeah. We got to devote just a whole thing to Liam Neeson at some point on one of these podcasts, because there's so much to unpack with that guy. I love Liam Neeson and I also kind of hate him at the same time. He's a very interesting guy. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm a fan, but I'm not. Yeah. He's he's nowhere near like one of my favorite actors or anything like that. I just, but I respect, I respect some of his roles and, some of them take it or leave it or whatever, but the, I feel the same way about a lot of guys. You know, a lot of actors have have paycheck gigs that I'm just not about. That's why, you know, someone like, you know, we're going to be talking about, you know, Gary Oldman. Like, I really dig Gary Oldman's choices. I, I think he makes awesome choices, like, all the time. <laughs> uh, here and there, I think... I think a character actor like Oldman might miss on a movie, but his roles are like, dude, you have taste. You have fucking taste. <laughs> and, and I love that. That's true. Gary Oldman, I think, really does pick characters, not scripts. Yeah, sometimes the movie's fine. Take it or leave it. But like, he's there and he's fucking there. <laughs> I think the best example of that is 1998's Lost in Space, which Good, is yes. admittedly a really shitty movie. But... <laughs> Dr. Zachary Smith is a slimy son of a bitch. And that's due to Gary Oldman giving it his all. So yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love that about him. That, that's, that's why he's like one of my favorite guys. It's like, even when the movie's not good, it's worth watching him. It's totally worth watching him. Oh yeah. Those are the best guys. The best guys who can just add prestige to a movie. Mm-hmm. And Liam Neeson, I think used to be one of those guys, but I think he's got to find his way back. Yeah, maybe he'll have a stretch. Maybe he will. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe it starts with Seth MacFarlane's The Naked Gun. <laughs> hey, there you go. What a way to kick it off. Um, and for my last announcement, I have very mixed feelings about this, and I'm very intrigued to hear what you think about this. Um, okay. A Willy Wonka prequel film has been announced for a 2023 mm. release, currently titled Wonka. Tom Holland and Timothy Chalamet are on the short list to play the iconic chocolatier with Paddington director Paul King directing Wonka prequel film. It's the story of how Willy Wonka met the Oompa Loompas and started a chocolate factory. What do you think? Ah, well, Paddington's very good. (laughs) And you always want some kind of, some kind of proof, some kind of, Hey, some kind of resume when they're going to take on something like this, that I'm not in this boat, but this movie has a, very very big and dedicated audience that you don't mess with because we saw someone mess with it with charlie and the chocolate factory 
And that didn't work out too well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think a lot of true Willy Wonka fans were quite upset with that movie. And I think, I think messing with, I think messing with the nostalgia, nostalgia of it and the characters really alone. And I, I think it's a dangerous place to go. I really do. Yeah. For me, for, for me, I'm not a, I'm not a huge, huge fan, so I'm not going to be hurt by anything, but I, I, I think it's a dangerous territory to go. <laughs> I mean, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory 1971 is one of my all time favorite movies, but I don't think I'm going to be hurt by Wonka. I just don't think it, it's necessary. I think I don't like living in this age where everything is being revisited, like literally yes. everything. It's, it's bogging down original thought and original ideas. And I'm just, I don't care. I don't care how Willy Wonka met the Oompa Loompas. I've never, yeah, we got like a 10 minute scene in the remake with that. And that I think covered it. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ah, man, this is an interesting, interesting thing with, with movies in general, right. With, with something like, uh, something like this, this example versus something like Mank recently came out. You know, I think you and I are very much, enjoying the idea of re- revisiting old films or old, old eras through a, through a new lens, you know, with a new director like David Fincher, Quentin Tarantino. But we, we don't like just straight up taking something from 50 years ago and just redoing it or taking ideas from it. And that's where the line is like, ah, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know if I, want more of that because like you said it's just kind of uh, rehashing stuff and i don't think I, I don't think um mank or once upon a time in hollywood does that i think they are totally original takes on something that's old but yeah. i i like that like you know ben affleck doing something with chinatown that's really exciting but that's totally different than just a straight up sequel or prequel you know what i mean well going into a certain mindset of an old era and talking about like celebrating that era is very different from say like that remake of the craft they did last year exactly that's what i'm talking about i'm tired of them revisiting things that worked once and just thinking it's going to work again because they slapped the name on it that's what i'm tired of but yes you look at like the upcoming dune remake that makes sense because the first one was terrible remaking bad movies i'm all for i think we should do that every time but remaking good movies makes no sense to me. It's lazy. Yeah. You have to try yeah. that art because people already love it. Yeah. And so, so with Willy Wonka, what you can do to be, to be fresh or something is make a movie about the making of the movie. Make a movie about one of the, one of the actors. Ding, ding, ding. Holy shit. Guess who? You know, <laughs> you know? There's, there's plenty of things, like routes to go with using maybe the film as a base but, but yeah, man, I, I, I think we're on the same page. And I think a lot of movie fans maybe don't know it, but are just kind of tired of that happening over and over. And, and it gets, yeah, it kind of kills the appreciation and the, you know, exclusivity of the original film. So yeah. it's tough, man. It's tough. It's incredibly lazy. The horror community has had to deal with this for God knows how long. Yeah. 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 That's, that's one of the things I, definitely dislike about you know 
when you want to dive into horror, it's like, uh Oh, you know, if you're eventually you're going to have to watch a bunch of really bad sequels for a bunch of different films. <laughs> and that sucks. That sucks. Every now and again, you'll, you'll find a, a gem, but it's very rare. And, you know, it's just these kind of cash grabs and that's really frustrating. Uh, that's why you like something like back to your idea about remaking something that's bad. Yeah. Or, or you, for Halloween's sake, you're just trying to bypass all of the bad so that people can just wrap two movies into one. And okay, this is what we got. <laughs> yeah. There's a right way and a wrong way to do a remake. And most people in Hollywood do the wrong way. Cause it's easier, cheaper, and you don't have to put that much thought into it. Like I think the 2018 Halloween had a lot of people who cared about it, putting a lot of original ideas and love into that film. That's why Carpenter signed on to, to help. Cause he saw that people cared. He saw people were making something good. But that, you know, that's why Carpenter was not involved in the 2005 remake of The Fog. <laughs> yeah. Because that was dog shit. So, yeah, there's there's a right and a wrong way. And I, I want Wonka to go the right way, but I don't see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, it's not till what, for, for another two years? Yeah. <laughs> it's a very interesting topic, just kind of that where do you draw the line each? Because I think each movie fan has kind of like a, a line that they draw maybe somewhere in their mind even if they don't know it uh, of what they prefer uh, to be remade rehashed or prequel sequel or for it to be a totally original take on something that's old and i think i think everyone has a preference and it's an interesting topic yeah for sure i know where my line is and it'll it won't be crossed until robert zemeckis and bob gale are dead <laughs> Oh, that's definitely the line for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, so many of my favorite movies would just like, like, like one flew the cuckoo's nest is like, there's this, there's this like spinoff TV show thing that's happening off of it. And it's just kind of like a, how dare you, you know, how dare you mess with this, you know? Yeah. But I, but I, I, you know, I, I am a little bit excited about this, Ben Affleck Chinatown. Well, that's because he's not remaking Chinatown. He's not doing like what did Jake Giddis do before Chinatown? He's doing <sighs> yeah. the making of Chinatown. Yeah, it's a totally, totally badass kind of yeah. historian type thing. So I, I just I can't wait for that. If Affleck announced he was doing Jake Giddis's story when he like was in Chinatown, I'd be like, fuck that. I don't want to see that. But he's not doing that. Ah oh, man. I got heated. All right. Love it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's great. I think, I think that's the, the juice, you know, with when you're talking about movies and just kind of these, cause we're the fans, you know, we're at the end of the day, we're the people who are like constantly talking about going and seeing stuff and consuming it. And our, our opinions are, are what keep things going, you know, uh, movie, all movie fans alike. Yeah. This podcast is dedicated to following what's happening right now in film and, you know, a lot of it's status quo. It's remakes, but we yeah. are going to find the gems, and that's what we're here for. And when you know, well, twenty twenty three rolls around, and we do when Wonka comes out, we will do it. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of what we do on this show is are is going to be gems. You know, we did pieces of woman, and you know, one night in Miami. Like we're we're trying to find films that are not. We're, we're trying to find original ideas and, and good movies that we think are going to be really interesting to talk about. And so far, we've done that well. Yeah, I think so. And I think we're going to continue to do as, you know, as well as we can, especially in these trying times. <laughs> yes. 
Okay, so let's start this recast. So we compiled a list of 20 characters from the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, minor leading all the way up to Batman himself. Uh, yes. We each chose 10 randomly. We did a kind of a mini personal draft. We picked each 10 we'd want to do. And we gathered the actors, our, our chosen actors independently. And we don't know which actors are on each other's lists. So we're in the dark on each other's picks, which is going to make this very interesting. <laughs> we don't For know. sure. Yeah. For sure. I, this idea has been kind of in the, in the back of our minds for, for, for so, so long that I, I have no idea who you have selected and I just did them yesterday. So (laughs) you could have overlap. We could have, you know, the same actor for Batman and two face. We don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So the dark Knight trilogy, what is it about these specific Batman films that just draw you in? (sighs) Ah, yeah. I, you know, talking about Nolan's Nolan's dark Knight trilogy, Right off the bat, you know, I'll say I give them, you know, I give Batman Begins an eight, Dark Knight an eight, and Dark Knight Rises a seven. I think, I think there's a clear drop off with that third one. I, I think, I think it's a lot of things in play. I think it's mostly producers that were being really pushy about an ending from Nolan. And I think Nolan would have, would have done some different things. Uh, like I think Batman begins in dark Knight are both like really badass movies. And I think dark Knight rises lets up in certain moments. So that's, that's just a personal opinion. I do think they're all three good films and they're uber, uber important to the landscape that we see today. Um, I think you can go back to even, you know, the Spider-Man films from the early, you know, earlier in the two thousands and, blade in the late nineties. I think there's things happening. And then, you know, the dark Knight happens in 2008 and it just, yeah. Iron Man happens. The MCU starts and it's just the floodgates have opened. Superhero is in, you are not a nerd anymore. If you like superheroes, you are just simply in the know. Yeah. That is not, it's not niche anymore to like superhero movies. It's just the most popular thing. And I think Nolan's trilogy not only capitalized on what superhero movies could be, but they, they, he, he made good like dramas and, you know, adventure movies and got these actors to do really, really cool things. I think there's a lot to appreciate with all three movies. And uh, if I had to pick a favorite, I would go begins. But of course my favorite performance within the whole thing lie, you know, lies in the dark night. Heath Ledger's Joker performances, you know, there's, a, you know, without a doubt, one, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And I'm, I'm not going to act like <laughs> act like it's not, you know, he is absolutely lights out in that movie. And I, I think it's one of the one of the best superhero related performances of all time, maybe the best. So with that being said, I'm going to pass it to you because I think you're a little more passionate than I am. Well, to begin with, um the dark Knight accomplished something that no other superhero movie had ever done. It caught the attention of the Academy. The dark Knight made superhero movies respectable, which Batman begins. Couldn't even do that. What Batman Begins succeeded in was rescuing Batman's reputation. Cause the previous film was 1997's Batman and Robin, which was so shitty. It wiped Batman 
off the Hollywood plane. And they'd been trying to get something in development for years. Aronofsky was going to do something like they were talking to Fincher, like everybody had a dog in the race. And then Christopher Nolan got the property and he brought it back and he made three of the most incredible superhero movies ever. And to me, maybe the definitive Batman story so far. I mean, Matt Reeves might have something to say about that, but we'll see. Uh, Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Batman is my favorite superhero. Um, I think he's got the coolest rogues gallery. I think every actor who's played the character has brought a little something different. Even Adam West, as goofy as he was, he was entertaining. Uh, And Christian Bale made Batman a scary force of nature. And that's pretty badass. I'm as you know, I know a lot of people have issues with the, you know, where are they? Like the weird voice. I get that. But it's just these movies don't feel like anything else. These three films do not feel like any other superhero movie. It's weird. It's weird. They exist in this own little bubble that has yet to be topped. DC has yet to top the Dark Knight trilogy. Even like I know people oh, have yeah. a lot of problems with rises. There's, you know, Talia Al Ghul's really shitty, unceremonious, sudden death, which is my big issue with that movie. But yeah, to me, yeah. if, if for all three, it's nine, ten, nine for me. Uh, Rises, I saw that at the movies four times. <laughs> it blew my fucking mind, and that's entirely I saw it once. Yeah, I saw it once. <laughs> it's entirely thanks to Tom Hardy as Bane, which I know people have issues with that one. It's whitewashed, I know, but he is so goddamn scary. And just seeing him beat the fuck out of Batman, literally to almost to his death, is such a visceral image that did not leave my mind. When I saw it, I was like, holy shit. And Straight up. Yeah, these three movies are fucking awesome. They're endlessly rewatchable. They, res- they yes. changed the landscape of superhero films forever. And I can't wait to recast them yeah man i super rewatchable no matter what anybody says about that they're definitely rewatchable movies if they're on if they're just like on tnt fuck Mm -hmm. it i'm gonna start watching wherever it's at it's it's they're they're definitely in that category love it i know begins and dark knight are currently on hbo max i don't think rises is though Hmm. yeah most people should own these, you know, I, I don't, but I, I, th- I think most people do, you know what I mean? Uh, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> they were the first, uh, when I got a PlayStation three for my, for Christmas one year, I got three Blu-rays with it. It was Batman begins the dark Knight, and the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor. <laughs> Let's go. So yeah, they were, they've been in my movie collection since the beginning, which is fantastic. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I think as much as I do love the Dark Knight and Joker and Two-Face and just everything that film represents, my favorites probably begins as well. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a fantastic, fantastic origin story. Holy hell. And and, and your favorite character, Rajah Ghoul, is front and center. You know, that's your boy, so. Rajah Ghoul and... Carmine Falcone, like it's and Scarecrow. It's just a perfect triple threat there. And oh my God, Tom Wilkinson. Oh my oh, God. He was tough, but I got somebody who would be very interesting. But um, I, there's, it's impossible, but I can't wait to see what you got. 
it's this was impossible this movie this franchise was so well cast that's that's one of the best parts of it yeah is the yeah. casting yeah oh this is gonna be fun <laughs> all right so uh let's start it out with uh we're gonna go minor characters to major characters uh work our way up and yes. uh we'll give a little bit of a brief you know history of who these guys are what who they are in the film who plays them and then we'll talk our uh, our picks. So let's do this. Number twenty, uh, counting down. Mayor Anthony Garcia, the mayor of Gotham City, played by Nestor Carbonell. Lost. Uh, yeah, lost. Yeah, he was Richard. Yeah. Uh, really shitty mayor. Uh, <laughs> doesn't really do anything to quell corruption, apart from scold Harvey Dent from trying to do exactly that. Uh. So I thought we want somebody brash, arrogant, and still like handsome enough to win an election. And I immediately thought of Bruce Campbell. Yes. (laughs) Nobody has a chin that won't quit like that man. And he could be mayor of any city in America. And I would believe it. Oh my God. (laughs) What a way to start. Bruce Campbell, Mayor Anthony Garcia. I can picture that perfectly. Yeah, I'm I totally in. That is a very very good recast. Uh I it doesn't really even matter who who else we have in mind. Uh Bruce Campbell, if he walks in the room, he's going to be playing the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just I would love that. I would love to have, you know, Bruce Campbell pop up in any kind of these movies. And with Sam Raimi doing Doctor Strange too, that could definitely be happening. So, ah, perfect. Good start. Um, number 19, uh, we go back to Batman Begins. Mr. Earl, the ah. chairman of the board of Wayne Industries, who or Enterprise, is my mistake, played by the late, great Rucker Hauer. Uh, I believe this was yours. Yes, yes, it is. Rucker Hauer, uh, yeah, like you say, rest in peace, died in 2019. Um, you know, Rutger in the past, you know, I think was uh, was able to to play some some grit, right? While at the same time, I, th- I think he I think he's able to to be a reliable and loyal character as well. Oh yeah. And I I wanted to go with the guy that that I know kind of gets our juices flowing uh a, a, an actor who we both adore and his name is james Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah good pick uh yeah similar in age he's he's uh in his 70s uh Rutger Hauer was 75 when he passed away trying to find guys that could really audition for this role and i think i think james you know this is the guy who's playing fucking sunny you know in the godfather so that's mainly what I, what I went to, you know, when I thought about like my fair role of his, but obviously in this stage of the game, him and Rutger, you know, quite a bit older. And I I think James could have used this role uh, in his career. And I also thought about that. I think it would have been a really cool thing for him to be a part of. Um, Yeah. And I, I know you're a fan as well. So I think he's good for this. He's good. He's good to have on board. James Kahn. Yeah. Didn't you get the memo? I can totally see that. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. I was watching this, um, it was a Netflix series of like where Christmas movies came from. And it was uh, one on Elf. They were talking about the development of Elf. And there was a scene where 
James Conn, James Conn and Will Ferrell didn't exactly get along on that set. Will Ferrell was very improvisational. James Conn wasn't used to that kind of thing. So there's a scene where Buddy interrupts the board meeting and uh, Walter's like, no, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you anywhere near me, that whole thing. Well, I guess James Conn was struggling with getting the emotion out of there because he was, you know, not used to this kind of thing. So director Jean Favreau walked up to him and whispered something in his ear. And he immediately did the scene perfectly. And for, I guess for the longest time, the crew was like, what the hell did he say to James? And in the, <laughs> in the video, he revealed, I, he said, I reminded him that he's Sonny fucking Corleone. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. John Favreau, one of the best directors of the past fucking 25 years. <laughs> Beautiful. Great pick. God, uh, is Mr. Earl fantastic hell yeah brings bring some spice into into this cast i i like it we got campbell and Khan. come on <laughs> oh um number 18 roland daggett oh absolute prick from dark knight rises uh owner of daggett industries who's trying to absorb wayne enterprises played by the fantastic australian character actor ben mendelson uh i believe this was yours as well yeah, yes, it is. I, I wanted this one bad because I have always thought that this guy, this guy should have been um, casted in a superhero movie at some point and should have been in the Nolan trilogy. And that is Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> to take over oh. the, Roland da- the Roland Daggett role. Uh, of course, Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away in 2014. I think he would have absolutely crushed this out of the park. You see what he's doing in Hunger Games, multiply that by like 30. And I think you get the performance that we would have gotten in the Nolan trilogy as Roland Daggett. And I know we're recasting Bane, but Tom Hardy and Philip Seymour Hoffman working together would be so cool. Yeah, that would have been unreal to have to see that that scene where um, where Bane breaks Daggett's neck with PSH and Tom Hardy. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. PSH would have brought this whole le- like extra level of smarmy genius to Roland Daggett. That would have, that was a, a fantastic choice. I also thought a lot about how well he did in Mission Impossible Three. Right, that yeah. Just, his face can get so red so fast. Um, he he he's technically just two years older than Ben Mendelsohn as well. Born in 1967 and Mendelsohn born in 1969, so it really makes sense. And I, he's a He's a fucking New York guy. I would love to see him kind of take on Gotham, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think, I think PSH in Gotham is like one of the coolest sentences ever. So, yeah. <laughs> I remember before the Dark Knight Rises had uh, like the trailers had come out and everyone was kind of speculative, like who are the bad guys? What's this going to be called? I remember those days and everyone was saying they wanted Philip Seymour Hoffman to play the Penguin. Oh well, yeah, that would have been a, a total dream. Yeah, what could have what could have been, man? I think Colin's going to do a damn fine job. Yeah, he's ah, oh, I can't get over how good the fucking makeup looks in that trailer. <laughs> no kidding. Mm. Beautiful, great choice. Moving on to number seventeen, Officer Foley in The Dark Ooh. Knight Rises, played by Matthew Modine, Gordon's mm-hmm. loyal uh, lieutenant. I think lieutenant right yeah total dickhead i don't know if i go that far <laughs> i thought he was in the end he did stand he did join the right side he did the right thing in the end matt modine 
all it takes is that that one scene though when he's at home just being a little bitch. <laughs> that's that's like all it takes for you to be like, nah, nah, this guy, yeah, this guy, but, this guy's got to go. But then he shows up in his dress blues at the front of the line to take on Bane with the rest of Gotham's finest, and that is that's a hero right there. Yeah, show up too late for me. <laughs> well, I thought of a guy, one of one of my favorite character actors who encompasses this kind of you know half asshole half hero and nobody yes. does that better than john c mcginley <laughs> yes yes dr cox himself and you'll stay down <laughs> just yeah perfect and um he played the atom on justice league unlimited so he was my kind of mm. going line we tried to do uh we didn't want to do anybody who had already appeared in a, in a dc property uh, so we went a little bit, you know, animated doesn't count, I guess. I wanted him. I, fuck it. I wanted John C. McGinley. <laughs> Got to. Got yeah. to. And f- I think, you know, Foley is a character who kind of doesn't really, you know, bring anything to the story. I mean, you kind of take him out. He's nothing changes. But I feel like John C. McGinley would have brought a little bit more of an impact than Matthew Modine, no disrespect, just I like McGinley better. Yeah, totally. Totally understand the, that. I think it's an upgrade. You ever see the movie The Animal with Rob Schneider? Of course, dude. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Rob Schneider. What a, have you seen? Have you seen uh, Deuce Bigelow? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but man. The Animal has like maybe my favorite John C. McGinley role as uh, the sergeant who fucking hates <laughs> Rob Schneider and is just making his life a living hell. He's such an asshole in that movie, but you love him. You, he's got this, like, if he was insulting you to your face, you would laugh. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of guy. <laughs> I love people like that. Oh, fantastic. <clears throat> okay, moving on. Number 16, Gamble. The uh, gangster that pisses off the Joker in The Dark Knight, played by the always awesome Michael Jai White. And yes. uh, this is a role that's pretty meaty in the first like half hour of The Dark Knight. He's the only one who stands up to the Joker and openly threatens him. Joker can't have that in his grand scheme. So he's the guy who gets the knife in the mouth and the why so serious story. It's an amazing scene. And I thought of older black actors who I really appreciate and who I think could have that kind of gravitas and who I think are underrated. And the guy I went with is Mr. Ernie Hudson. Oh, good call. I like it. Known mainly as the fourth ghostbuster who's in it for the paycheck, which makes it my favorite ghostbuster because everyone else is a scientist and he's just there working nine to five. (laughs) But um, yeah, I love Ernie Hudson and he's been in a lot of stuff, but never really gets talked about. And I think this role could have been a nice little stipend for him and would have given him a chance to shine. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I, I love what you're doing there. I think Ernie is like simply has gotten forgot, you know, has been forgotten amongst those Ghostbuster guys unfairly. And yeah. I think it would be really cool to implement him into a franchise, you know, such as the Nolan trilogy. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good call. Kick ass. Uh, all right. Next up, number fifteen, Sal Maroney, 
the new head <laughs> of the Falcone crime family in the Dark Knight, played by a surprisingly really good Eric Roberts. Uh, take it away. Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts. Uh, Oscar nominee. Yeah. Uh, f- uh, film in the 80s. Uh, I think it's called Runaway. Uh, yeah, he's someone that I want to dig into more because uh, I, I do think he has... I think he shows some stuff as Maroney, but I do think we can, I think we can upgrade. I really do. And I think, I think there was, there's a, a clear way to go here. And that would be John Malkovich ah. um, <laughs> starring as Sal Maroney. Um, I think he makes every scene unforgettable. If he's Maroney, I, I, yeah, I think bald, bald Malkovich, you know, no hair, just kind of eating, you know, kolaches and smoking cigarettes you know i think that just works the best (laughs) that's fantastic oh so technically malkovich was the bad guy in the jonah hex movie but yes yes yeah doesn't (laughs) know yeah i actually looked that up i was you know scrolling through his imdb and i was like wait a minute but this movie sucks (laughs) yeah exactly all yours yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's ours. I think I think Malkovich would be could be a lot of villains. Maybe not maybe not just Maroney, but I think he could be a good amount of villains within the the Nolan trilogy. I think he fits this atmosphere really well. Yeah, I think so. Um, Malkovich as a Gotham gangster, I love that. That's, that's yeah, we need it. <laughs> Yeah, Maroney is an interesting character. He's um not not really as uh, as threatening as Falcone, but still has this menace about him. And while I do appreciate Eric Roberts giving it his all, Malkovich would be a pretty frightening character, I think. Yeah, well yeah, he he could make you The thing about Malkovich is that no matter who you have as Joker, Malkovich can step to that person and be like, I'm weird too. You know, Malkovich has that gear to go to. And I don't think Eric, I don't think Eric Roberts or many other people can pull that off. Sounds like you want Teddy KGB as Sal Maroney. (laughs) Yes. Well, of course, everything comes, everything comes back to rounders. I mean, (laughs) Oh, great. Uh, Next up is our other, famous Gotham gangster number 14 Carmine Falcone played fantastically by Academy Award nominee Tom Wilkinson this these are big shoes to fill one of the most underrated villains in the franchise and a true scary human being knowing how much power he has over this city so I thought back to who I liked of you know kind of New York character actors who've appeared in like you know kind of bit parts and the guy I immediately thought of was Michael Badalucco. Oh, wow. Good call. You may know him as Babyface Nelson from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. Man. That dude has an understated menace about him that I would love to see him take on Carmine Falcone with. I mean, he's one of my favorite parts of Oh Brother. Just this crazy psycho, you know, cow killer and all that. <laughs> it's fucking great. So, yeah, Badalucco. I, I really like that. And I think we need some actors like that who have something to prove, you know, we, we gotta, 
got to fill our cast out, not with just stars, but with people who, who have something to prove again. And yeah, that's perfect. I think that's an excellent choice. That's exactly what I did. I didn't go obvious. I went, who has the balls to step into these shoes? Yeah, I definitely went with guys with big balls. I mean, yeah, PSH, John Malkovich, holy hell, James Kahn. Uh. <laughs> the <fantastic>. biggest balls. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> All right, we're inching up there into the uh, the major players here. Uh, number 13 is John Blake. Uh, Bruce Wayne's protege in The Dark Knight Rises, a uh, young cop played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, implied to be, you know, Robin. It's a little corny, but nice. And uh, I wanted a young, I'm thinking back to 2012 here. Young, up and coming, you know, character actors who are going to be big, who have the balls to play Batman's protege. And I decided to go with Michael B. Jordan. Oh, man. That is money. <laughs> Killmonger that is, that himself is perfect. as Robin. <laughs> no, no, Creed as as Robin. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Oh man, yeah, that's a great that's a great choice. I think I think he definitely should be in this recast somewhere, and that's probably the perfect spot. <laughs> yeah, right on. He's a character who Blake. You get exactly who this guy is from the second he walks on screen. You know exactly what he's going to be, what his function in this film is going to be. It's a little too obvious. I, 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 I accept that, but it is cool to have that little reveal of like, Oh, you, you should use your first name, Robin. It's cute. Like, you know, Batman fans are going to be like, you know, they're going to have that like, ah, moment. Yeah. And also to see, you know, Michael B. Jordan as a cop in Gotham city would just be a treat. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. That'd be pretty badass. <laughs> Very nice. Number 12. Talia Al Ghul, the true villain of The Dark Knight Rises, played by Oscar winner Marion Cotillard. Uh, take it away. This is mine. Yeah. Uh, Marion, the lovely actress, a French actress. I had to go French with this one. So I just, you know, went based off of who I think has the skill and is, you know, close enough in age. And that'd be Juliette Binoche, the <laughs> English patient, uh, another another person who's, you know, won an Oscar, uh, not just been nominated, but uh, won for the English patient and was nominated for Chocolat. So she is a terrific actress. And I think putting her into something like this gives it a, gives it a certain elegance and a certain, certain prestige about it. She, she, she really brings uh, professionalism to the table. Uh, my favorite role of hers would be Code Unknown, a movie I watched not too long ago and she kind of blew me away. So I, I think Marion is really, really good. I don't think that character is uh, doesn't get her total due in Dark Knight Rises. That's like the main issue, like you pointed out with the whole film. But uh, I think Marion is good, and I think Juliet would do the job just as well. Interesting choice. I haven't really seen any of her work. I don't think Juliet Binoche. I uh, I know who she is, but uh, interesting out of left field choice. I wasn't expecting you to go French. Yeah, got to a guy. You know, I want to. I want to keep that keep that accent there, and I think Juliet Juliet can do it. Yeah, I can see her bringing some more like aggressive uh, gravitas to the role of Talia. I thought Marion Cotillard is a great is a great actress. I thought she was a little too delicate for a role like this. I think you need somebody who looks like they've been around like 
been around the block because this is a you know she grew up in hell <laughs> this is yeah she's here to kill everybody avenge her father and you know talia in the comic books traditionally like an aggressive like powerful strong woman who took over the league of assassins and wants you know to fulfill her father's journey but batman standing in the way and i did not feel that kind of vengeful desperation with marion cotillard but maybe juliette binoche might have it she might have it. and i think the thing i think it's mostly up to writing i think with that one yeah because I, th- I think marion can possess it and i think yeah I, I think it's there it's just hard to bring out you gotta have the right writing no amount of good writing is gonna fix that horrible death scene she has in that movie yeah that one's rough <laughs> ah next up number 11 lucius fox the guy who makes all of Batman's toys played by Oscar winner, Morgan Freeman. Uh, cool. What do you got? Uh, you brought up that Oscar winner, Morgan Freeman. We just talked about a film called places in the heart. And we both felt like Mr. Danny Glover should have been nominated. And I'm going to go ahead and replace Morgan Freeman with Danny Glover. Perfect. I think, I think Danny G would do a better job actually than Morgan Freeman. I think, I think Danny Glover has an easier time not taking, not taking over a scene or, or and it's not really Morgan Freeman's fault. He's so damn good. But I think Danny Glover is sometimes better at just kind of allowing whoever the lead is to, to, to do their thing. And Morgan Freeman has this, has this insane gravitas is a, is, is a great word we've been throwing around. And I think he has it. And Morgan is very hard to replace, but I think Danny Glover might be a little bit better for Lucius. I, I really do. I really think that. And I think he has the ability to pull off some, some clothing that, that Lucius wears, you know, you see, you see throughout. And I think like Danny Glover in a bow tie, a nice little jacket. Yeah. I think it works perfect for Lucius. <laughs> I had in mind just because I was, you know, thinking about all this. I had in mind uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Oh yeah, that would be really cool. Love Giancarlo. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah, but Danny Glover—that's a good choice. I I like him a lot. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> kind of weird. He hasn't been a part of a, a Batman movie already. <laughs> in some way, I get the feeling he is like if he hasn't already, he is this close to retirement. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember the last movie I saw Danny Glover. I think it was 2012 from 2009. Where he played the president. It's got to be something. I mean, I could, we can look real quick. If you want to move on to the next one, I'll look up his uh, IMDb. Well, <laughs> the next one's yours. <laughs> oh, all right. What, what do we got? What's the next one? Number 10 is Rachel Dawes. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah, I've, yeah Bruce, this one's yeah. fun. Bruce Wayne's uh, childhood friend turned brief love interest and then Harvey Dent's Flame, played by Katie Holmes in Batman Begins and Maggie Gyllenhaal in The Dark Knight. Uh, a character I've never really thought needed to be here, considering the vast um, list of Batman's love interests in the comic books. I don't like when they just create an original character like this. I think it, yeah, whatever. What do you got? I got someone, someone really interesting, someone we actually brought up earlier, but I, right before we say that, uh, Danny Glover was in Sorry to Bother You. 2018 of course he, he was i completely forgot about uh, he was in proud mary he was in extortion he was in come sunday the old man and the gun 
The Last Black Man in San Francisco, uh, The Dead Don't Die, some cool movies, Jumanji, The Next Level. Fuck yeah, he wasn't Jumanji. I just Danny Glover is very much working. 203 credits right now. Good God. Yeah, I take it back. Yeah, he's he's still got it. He's still doing it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> that yeah, it's wonderful. Um, very happy to hear that. Uh, Rachel Doss. Okay. Yes, we have two actresses who play her, and I I don't think either of them do a very good job, in my opinion. Um you already mentioned how this character, eh, you know, the whole source of it and everything. I I just simply not based off of looks or anything. I just was like, who, who do I love that's in that same kind of generation of, of actresses? And I went with Naomi Watts. Um, I think she possesses an extreme, extreme amount of talent. <clears throat> Something, you know, the stuff she's doing in Birdman, Mulholland Drive, you know, I adore the choices she makes. Uh, she really pulled me in the first time I saw King Kong when I was a kid. I really thought she was just like, shockingly beautiful and you know had this pretty amazing performance hanging or hanging out with a gorilla you know like i thought thought that was amazing as a child and as i've gotten older i i just i love her work and i think it's 100 her, her like actresses like her and juliette binoche bring a, a serious professionalism of like this is going to be good i'm gonna i'm going to dominate this role and like you know, i'm gonna affect the people around me and i yeah, I think she would make that whole character mean a whole lot more. Very good choice. Yeah, Naomi Watts is one of the, I think, most underrated actresses of all time. I think she's she always delivers and doesn't really, like, isn't talked about when people talk about, like, the best actresses working now. I don't usually hear her name, but she is amazing. I remember, I think, my introduction to her, probably Kong, but then, like, The Ring was a big one oh. for me. Yeah. She was amazing in that. Yeah. And she, I love that she kind of goes all over the place, you know, drama, horror, comedy. Like she, she takes, I think she's another actress who chooses character over script. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, films like Eastern promises and, mm. you know, fair game. She's really good in, but not a great movie. The impossible J Edgar, uh, adore, St. Vincent, While We're Young, that Noah Baumbach film, The Sea of Trees, Demolition. Yeah, she's, she's all over the place. And I, I, I love her. She's definitely one of my favorites. And I agree with you. I think she's one of the best, best actresses of the past, you know, 15 years or so. Mad respect. Very nice. Good choice. Yeah, we're, I love how outside the box we're doing this with. Like, this is great. Great pick. Trying to make it, we're trying to make a team, not so much it's not so much fun to just be like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, you know, just like all of these giant, giant stars. We're picking stars, but we're picking some different tiers of stars. And I yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, this next guy, this is interesting. Number nine, Jonathan Crane, the scarecrow. Oh boy. This was tough. Uh, Killian Murphy plays scarecrow and he is, absolutely incredible he's mesmerizing he's in all three films he he dominates his scenes every time and uh i wanted to pick an actor who has this kind of you know a weird look about him a quality that you'd think like something's off about this guy and at first he was a guy who features prominently in a a sitcom i adore but i didn't know he could do drama until i saw him in another show i started watching and it is jimmy simpson Wow! Real outside the box, and 
young man in black. Mm-hmm. So yes, I fucking love this guy. I thought he was hilarious and it's always sunny. And then Westworld showed me that this dude has talent and I'd love to see him take on Scarecrow more than anybody else. Oh man. He's also the, the lad at the end of Zodiac, you know, who's like, yeah, that's the fucker. You know, it's, <laughs> it's John Carroll Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's a, that's a really good call, especially with Scarecrow. You really can't replace Murphy. So you better shoot left field. You know, you better just go way outside the box. So good call. <laughs> Kick ass. Yeah. That was, that was a, that's the one I languished over the most. <laughs> I totally understand. Murphy is like, we talked about Naomi Watts being, he, he's one of the best actors right now. I mean, for his, for his role in Peaky Blinders and everything he does in film for the past 20 years from 28 days later, all the way to, you know, shit like Dunkirk. It's just, he's just unbelievable. Well, I heard that um, since Peaky Blinders is coming to an end, um, Killian Murphy is now in possible up in consideration for James Bond. I could see that. I could see that. Now, Tommy Shelby is like such a, you know, such a menacing, menacing character and chain smokes, you know, like really, really chain smokes. And I love that. I think Murphy pulls that like part of like British gangster off so well. I think it'd be really interesting to see him do Bond, which is a, a whole different perspective. I don't, I don't want to see him as Bond. I want to see him as a Bond villain. Oh, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Like some kind of, you know, X MI6 or like KGB assassin who like built a criminal empire and is like trying to take over a city or some shit like that. I, I, I would buy him as somebody who like, a lot of Bond villains, you think, like, when is Bond going to dispatch this guy? You don't see a lot of menace with them. You don't see, like, this guy is going to kill James Bond. You don't think that, usually. I feel like Murphy could bring that. Like, this guy's going to murder James Bond. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Well, like, if Tommy Shelby and James Bond were in a room, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who's going to win. Sorry. you know. And that's how I'd feel about any Murphy character. I'd be like, he might win. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. a good feeling. <laughs> Number eight. Selena Kyle, Catwoman, played mm. by Anne Hathaway. Uh, pretty divisive character. Um, not the best depiction of this character uh, to a lot of fans. Michelle Pfeiffer still has that honor, but we'll see what Zoe Kravitz has to say about that. Um, what do you got? I got Ruth Nega taking... Anne Hathaway's spot as Selena Kyle, Catwoman. I think um, there's a lot of women who could have done a better job than Anne Hathaway. And I don't totally think it's her fault. I thought that character was very poorly written <laughs> in Dark Knight Rises. And I think she's hamming it the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think a lot of people agree on that one. And I think it deserves a whole different, you know, whole different lens perspective, all, all the above. And I think choosing Ruth is for, for me a great choice because she's shown already <clears throat> uh, in a show uh, preacher that she has a very, very, very like kick-ass side where she can, you know, kind of, kind of do that bit. And then she is just a wonderful, wonderful actress in a film like loving, you know, alongside Joel Egerton, she was nominated for that. And 
I, I think she has something to prove, you know, and very much if you were to cast her in 2012 before she really, you know, exploded at all, I think it would have changed her career forever. And uh, I, I like when people are cast in roles like that. I think Anne Hathaway was going to be fine no matter what. <laughs> but I think, I think Ruth could have, uh, Ruth Nega could have benefited greatly from being casted in this movie. Interesting choice. I haven't seen a lot of her work. I, I know Ruth Nega from, uh, she played the character Raina in 18 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Or she yes. was a Hydra agent who like was turned into a inhuman. And it was a very interesting character, but I've always wanted to see Loving. I've heard that's an amazing movie. Oh, yeah, I love that one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, I, War, I, I believe you. I believe War, in you. War, World War Z, she's pretty good in. Ad Astra, she's one of the best parts of Ad Astra. Uh, yeah, she's 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 coming around. I think. I think she's gonna be she's gonna be here to stay. And I think I think people will be kind of blown away by her uh, once she figure out fi- figures out the right roles, you know, and and gets a groove going. She's awesome. Yeah, I think. But I do I I do think that really, Catwoman is the character that suffers the most from the writing. A hundred percent. And you do need, but you know, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, number seven, Raz Al Ghul. Oh boy. Here we go. Uh, it is. All right. I got to just settle this right now. So it's pronounced Raish Al Ghul. <laughs> that's, that's how it's supposed to be said. And that's my biggest beef with this whole franchise is that nobody did that research at all. <laughs> It's it's a very simple thing to 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 understand and know. Yeah, it's like if they just called him Joe Care the whole time, it would bother you. <laughs> but um, Joe, Joe Care, yeah, Joe Care, twelve face, like it would be annoying. <laughs> but Ra's al Ghul is the man who trains Batman. He is the head of the League of Shadows, and is the most dangerous assassin on the planet. So I thought of somebody played, of course, by Liam Neeson. And I wanted somebody who proves to be equal parts intimidating, psychotic, and grandfatherly. Somebody who you believe could train a hero and take over a city. And I went with Robert Carlyle. Oh, good choice. Begbie himself, Rumpelstiltskin. The, I believe him, I, I believe he could take this role and turn it into something very memorable. And uh, he's a guy I love to see every time. He's uh, he's just fantastic. And uh, yeah, he's my choice for Rachel Ghoul. No, that's that's a brilliant choice. This I think that's one of the roles that could go in a lot of interesting angles. Different, you know, you could go a lot of different ways. I like that. I like that choice for a character who is supposed to be not necessarily in the Nolan verse, but supposed to be this, you know six seven hundred year old immortal warrior you could kind of go any any race any nationality like yes. anything it's it's a mixed bag for for race and uh i really hope we get to see him in matt reeves batman series because i love to see another actor take on this role same same that would be fucking kick-ass oh yeah uh number six bane hey here we go <laughs> Ah, oh, the man who broke the bat, played by Oscar nominee Tom Hardy. Uh, 
fans are kind of mixed on this. A lot of people love him. A lot of people hate him. A lot of people are mixed. So he's, I wanted somebody who could honor the character a little bit better. Somebody who, you know, Bane traditionally is a Hispanic uh, character. So I chose Mr. Javier Bardem. Oh, (laughs) you beef him up. You put a mask on him and he's the scariest motherfucker in Gotham city. (laughs) 100%. That is perfect. Oh, that's our best one yet. Yeah. (laughs) Javier Bardem would change everything. Yeah. Bane needs to be a Hispanic character. I believe that. I think his, his whole character, you know, a lot of, you know, his nationality is a very important part of his character. So I think when you whitewash him, you take that away. And I would want somebody to honor that, you know, that's, I you know it's my heritage too. I want that heritage honored. So Javier Bardem, <laughs> that's just, you know, I want a beefy, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger circa 1987 style biceps on that guy as you know, motherfucking Bane with the luchador mask and everything. Yes. Oh, God, I just, I can picture it right now. It's glorious. <laughs> oh, that'd be so cool, man. That's a that's a very very good choice. I think if you're going that route, you're trying to give it that proper representation. I think that's that's a no brainer, Javier. Oh yeah. Uh, number five, Harvey Dent, Gotham's White Knight, Harvey Two Face, played I think to perfection by Aaron Eckhart. But I'm very interested to see who you have replacing him. It all comes back to rounders. <laughs> Edward motherfucking ah. Norton. <laughs> Holy shit. That's interesting. I oh, think, that's cool. I think Edward Norton would have a bit of trouble with maybe the beginning stages as Harvey Dent. But once that transition happens, you bet your ass Edward Norton would be the best ever at playing Two-Face. Uh, I'm going for, you know, some, some wild stuff here, but I'm also going, you know, I got Edward Norton and John Malkovich, who I know can work together. I got Edward Norton and PSH, who I know can work together. I got Edward Norton and Naomi Watts, who I know it can work together. I'm moving in that direction, and I, I think I think we we got a good team. And Norton, Norton playing a political character in a superhero franchise is it gives me goosebumps <laughs> because that that that's not going to happen. <laughs> this this is a this is a guy who you know played the Hulk, right? No one off, you know shit and. He's not doing anything like that again, I don't think. Um, the, man's, the man's in a different part of his career. Just had his directorial debut a little over a year ago with Motherless Brooklyn. So, yeah, I think he's in a whole different stratosphere. But 2008, Edward Norton, oh boy. I just, I, I think he would have knocked that out of the park. I, I agree with you. Aaron Eckhart is wonderful. I, I just went for a whole different look. Yeah, you went for more of a sinister from the start two-face, which is very interesting. My favorite thing about Eckhart's Two-Face is that he is such a noble, good person who falls so hard and so tragically. Yeah. But a lot of, you know, different iterations of Two-Face, he is a little fucked up from the beginning. He is, you know, he has some mental issues. He has a personality disorder. And then the accident happens and all that just comes out. So I can totally see Edward Norton playing that kind of Two-Face. Well, yeah, he's, you know, one of his, you know, his big breakout role in Primal Fear, like, he showed that he could do that, you know, right away. And of course in fight club where you got, you know, different kinds of psyche things happening and multiple personality disorder type stuff. And 
I think Edward Norton is the guy to go to for that type of role. Like, I think he's just proven it over and over that if you want to make a movie that's going to be like kind of trippy and weird and this guy's got, you know, really, really strange circumstances and kind of seems trapped and alone, like Edward Norton's your guy. <laughs> that's perfect. That's, that's a great, yeah, that warps the whole franchise into something else. I like that. Well, well, I have, so I have, I had power there because I might've chosen someone different, but because I have uh, Rachel Dawes as well. And I knew I had Naomi Watts. I knew Naomi and Edward Norton would make sense together as like that couple because Aaron Eckhart and Maggie Gyllenhaal, while I, I respect both of them as actors, I just don't think it works. Like the relationship doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I think Norton and Watts would like, I would just believe it right away. I just would. Uh, not just saying that because of Birdman, I think it's because of their kind of, their kind of skill. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, this is obviously years before Birdman. So yeah, it's a whole different thing. Perfect. That's, that's fantastic. Number four, commissioner Gordon, the most noble man in Gotham city. The one guy keeping the police department from tearing itself apart. Denzel Washington. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary Oldman, of course. Plays, plays Gordon about as good as you can under the circumstances. But, but like when I'm watching Oldman, I'm like, I, I, I need him to go crazy. I need him to lose it. I need something to happen. I think Denzel makes so much sense. And because you picked Michael B. Jordan as your boy Blake, I think if we saw Denzel and Michael B. working together in Dark Knight Rises, fucking forget about it. <laughs> you know, I think that would be really cool. And obviously... Denzel would be in all three films. And I just, I, I think he makes sense. I think him being the guy who's kind of like with the coffee in hand and he's like, all right, we got to move out, you know? And he's, he's the one who's making the moves and going out on the line, you know, has the relationship with the kids back at home. Like Denzel sells all of that. You know, I, he, he, I think he fits right in. That's great. Denzel is great. I can, yeah. I can picture him as commissioner Gordon. I can't picture him as Lieutenant Gordon. Fair enough. Fair enough. But that's just because Denzel has such a, like a strong presence that I don't see him taking orders from fucking anybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he'd be behind the scenes. Denzel would be, I'm still doing my own investigation. Fuck them. You know, like Denzel never, no matter what he, no matter what movie he's in, you know, if it's man on fire or crimson tide or, you know, he's going to go off his own agenda. You know, this guy is going to figure <laughs> Denzel uh, training day this guy's going to figure out how he's going to want to do things and he's going to do it his way. Uh, and I think, I think that would, uh, I think that would bode well uh, at times for, for Gordon. Yeah, I think so for sure. Uh, I do. I would like to see, you know, Denzel's Gordon up against the Joker. I think that would be a treat. <laughs> oh boy. Denzel also has a, you know, you just throw, you know, I, I picture like taking Pelham one, two, three, Denzel Washington. And here he is, you know, you put him in, he's, he's commissioner Gordon. And I see, see him with like the glasses and everything, you know, I just, I don't see him being frightened at all by anyone. You know, you can just take the glasses off and just kind of be like, I've been in Gotham for fucking 40 years as a cop. Like what, this ain't nothing, you know, I, I believe it. I just believe it. And it's, it's, it's a lot to do with what Denzel has shown us over time, how he can be this commanding kind of guy. I guess when I'm watching Gary Oldman, I'm just ready for him to, you know, 
is it white boy Tuesday? You know, I'm just ready for something stupid to happen, you know? Because <laughs> Gary does a lot of wacky things and, and you know, Gordon's not so wacky. <laughs> no, it's actually a very tame role for him. Very tame for, oh my gosh. What, I didn't know who Gary Oldman was when I first saw Batman Begins, you know, at like age 10. I didn't really know who Gary Oldman was at all. And so it just, you know, didn't click in my head, didn't make any sense. But then when I learned, I was like, that was a, that was a very boring role for him <laughs> compared to what he's used to. <laughs> uh, no time, challenge. No challenge by the time at all. Batman Begins came out, I had already seen The Fifth Element and, the Prisoner, and Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So I knew, I knew Gary Oldman. I just didn't believe it was yeah. all the same guy because I wasn't entirely, you know, certain how makeup and visual effects worked. Yeah. See, I didn't watch Harry Potter till later on in life. Uh, the only one I saw in theaters was Half-Blood Prince. So, like, yeah, I was just not in the loop with all of that. I wish because Azkaban's the one directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. It was it was pretty amazing getting to experience all of that in real time. Sorcerer's Yeah. You know, I saw that in the theaters when I was six. And then just... yeah. I watched them all in theaters. It was amazing. I got to grow up with all that. Fantastic. I didn't. I'm I know, just kidding. I'm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I there's other things I can hold on to, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number number three, Alfred Pennyworth. Fucking, fucking crickets over here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number three, Alfred, the most loyal butler in the world, at least until part three, where he's like, fuck this, I'm out. I don't want Batman anymore. And um, Michael Caine plays him pretty damn good. Probably the best um, on-screen Alfred we've had yet. Uh, very interested to see who you picked to replace him. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can. You know, Michael Caine, we've used words to describe a bunch of different actors, and there is no word to describe Michael Caine. He is in kind of a tier of his own he's not kind of on his own he there's no one like him no one who has a career quite like michael Caine's. um i decided to go with a guy similar in age obviously he's quite old and and british <laughs> and i think he's underrated at this point and that'd be mr malcolm mcdowell oh my i think God. i think malcolm mcdowell over time has just been kind of you know kind of been forgotten a bit by by certain certain you know movie fans but not by me not by me you know clockwork orange is one of my one of my very very favorite movies probably you know somewhere in my top 50 favorite movies of all time and it's mostly because of that fucking guy you know and i think over time he obviously can carry himself in a way to play a character like alfred you know over time as he's got older he brings a lot more like umph to it you know, I think there would be scenes where it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for him to make to play Alfred, but I think overall in the big the big picture, I think it would work. But there really is no way to replace Michael Caine. He every role he does, he's born to play. Yeah, and there's there's you know no two ways about it. Uh, so I I had a very hard time, but I knew I had to go with a an older British gentleman. I wanted to do right by Michael Caine. Give him give him someone who who can somehow conjure up the same kind of voice that he has. And I think Malcolm McDowell has a pretty spectacular voice. So that's who we're going with. I'm impressed. Malcolm McDowell is not at all who I thought you were going to go with. That's fantastic. Oh yeah. Stuart Davenport himself. 
If anybody out there recognizes the name Stuart Davenport under Malcolm McDowell's filmography, please let me know because nobody fucking does. Nobody else played <laughs> Mummy Tomb of the Pharaoh on PC Windows 95. So, no, no. That's, that was my first Malcolm McDowell. And yeah, I just, I fucking love that guy. Yeah, he's, he's pretty awesome. That's a great choice. That's a great pick. Alfred has always, you know, been Batman's most loyal and faithful friend. He's his father, basically. And uh, I've, you can see, you know, Michael Goff brought that in the uh, Burton and Schumacher films. Michael Caine definitely brought that. Jeremy Irons did not. And I'm excited to see Andy Serkis tackle that role. Let's talk about out of left field choice. But uh, yeah, no kidding. Malcolm McDowell is a, is a cool addition to that roster. I can, yeah, that's, that's great. Hell yeah. All right. We're getting to the top two here. Number two, the Joker, the clown prince of crime, Batman's greatest enemy played to absolute timeless perfection by the late great Heath Ledger winning his only Oscar for that role. The, yeah, the first Oscar ever given to an actor from a superhero movie. Huge yes. landmark for the genre. And the only other one thus far has also been for The Joker. <laughs> yeah. Bonkers. And uh, this was very difficult. <laughs> the Joker. No kidding. Oof. The Joker is a role that actors define their career by. It's a role that very few actors can handle, really. Um, you have to go to an incredibly dark place. It's, it'll, you know, fuck up your relationships. It'll mess your psyche up. If you're going to go hard for it, if you're going to go for the gold, you will not come out the same man you went in as. And an actor who does that every single time is Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio. Ah, I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. Star power and talent all wrapped up in a big bow. And we've seen him play crazy fucks. I mean, look at Mr. Calvin Candy for further uh, evidence. But I can see him as just a broken, mentally destroyed monster, hell-bent on destroying everything and playing with Batman. I can see that, especially with the Batman that I picked. (laughs) So have these two guys back and forthing would make one of the ma- like most incredible films of all time. And uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Leo is the Joker is a dream. So hopefully one day. If we were going older, I would have gone with Willem Dafoe. But I want to kind of, you know, have a Joker who's at the same age as, as my Batman. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well yeah, and Heath Heath was so, you know, was so young when he did it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And Nobody can step into Heath's shoes in this, in this particular film. It's, it's, it really is a, a performance that stands on its own. And we've, we've talked about it randomly on, our, on all three shows. It just comes up. <laughs> it's that kind of performance. Whenever we're yes. talking about great performances, he will just randomly fall into the conversation. Mm. So, DiCaprio. God, if only, man. I was... I, I want him to get snagged up by a superhero movie. I think he would do so, so well. He would bring so much to whatever he joined. Yeah, I, th- I, I actually think his best um, like audition for that I think he could play the Joker are, are those scenes in Wolf of Wall Street when he's 
just on all sorts of drugs. Yeah. Uh, I think Leo probably deep down knows like this isn't, this is, this is a character that like, you know, it comes with it, you know, and Heath and, you know, Joaquin and Jack Nicholson, like just those three guys alone is like, those are some, those are some all time weirdos, some all time, all time actors and guys who want, like want it, like want to take on the bizarre and the strange and challenge themselves just simply not easy. And I think Leo has gone there multiple times, has gone down that road of like, uh, like you said with Calvin Candy or Jordan Belfort, like he, he can play sinister evil characters, but if he did the Joker, I think it'd be, it'd be impressive for him to just kind of put his ego to the side and be in a movie like that to play the Joker, to be in a Batman movie for Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio to be in, you know, the dark Knight as Joker, I think would be cool for everybody involved, uh, including himself. I think him attaching that to his resume is a much better thing than attaching fucking great Gatsby to your resume. Uh, I really wish Leo, obviously he's been called, at some point to be in a fucking superhero movie. And he said, no, I, I really hope one day he, 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 he says yes. Well, uh, I think and whether, whether, whether it's the Joker or not, I hope he one day is in something that's like yeah. this kind of stuff. Well, DC eventually snagged Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, yeah. if they can get Joaquin to play the Joker, they can get Leo to do something. You just got to think exactly. of the right project. Yeah. Well, they got Robert De Niro as well to be in that. So yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so cool yeah i'm just thinking about like leo's filmography and like you know the scene where in once upon a time in hollywood where rick dalton's just losing his fucking shit in his trailer because he messed oh. up his lines that's a great little bit to throw into the to his joker soup like mm. <laughs> well yeah i mean the scene in wolf of wall street when he starts you know i'm not going nowhere you know and starts slamming his head with a microphone and just losing his mind you know uh, yeah, I think I think he is. If there's any massive star that could do it, it's Leo. It is Leo. I I don't even know if Brad Pitt can go there. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. We've never. Se- I think the craziest we've seen him gone is Twelve Monkeys. But yeah, Tyler Tyler Durden and Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, I mean that's those are pretty wild. But Joker is like this whole other your body goes to a whole different place. <laughs> yeah. It's we've seen what it's done to some actors. It's insane. Oh yeah. Fantastic. But Heath's the best and Heath actually totally lost himself in it and forever. We will, you know, miss him and forever try our hardest to keep watching his movies. And, you know, his role as in Mar should have gotten the Oscar in Brokeback Mountain. I think, I think that's his best role ever. And, I love the guy. Love the guy to death, and he's definitely the best Joker of all time. Yeah, he is. And fifty years from now, we're going to say the same thing. That's never going to. Yeah. No one's even ever stopped his performance. Even if Leo does it, yeah, it's going to be very hard to 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 surpass Mister Mister Ledger. Yep. Rest in peace. Uh, number one, Bruce Wayne, The Dark Knight, The Cape Crusader, yes. Batman. Who? could step into the shoes of Christian Bale 
as the Dark Knight. Very interesting. Uh, the actors who were just, you know, called. I mean, they offered it to David Boreanaz, who turned it down to do Bones. I mean, you imagine fucking Angel as Batman? <laughs> no, no, I can't. Oh, yeah. It's just so many actors have almost had Batman. And every actor who has played Batman kind of represents a different generation. And um, I thought somebody who has the power to be the face of a generation of superhero films, somebody who can step into this cowl and deliver an incredible performance for the ages. And the only guy who I thought had the, the body, the soul, and the strength of his performance to do this is Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> yes. He would fucking annihilate a Batman movie. And I want that. Oh, so bad. I know, man. I've the dude is six foot four. He doesn't need anything extra. Just put the suit on him and he's Batman. Like Jake Gyllenhaal, literally Southpaw. He, it's him. There you go. It's there. Yeah. Oh, what a, what a great pick. He's always been the number one person for me. Uh, not even close. He is. And the more I've, you know, thanks to these podcasts, I've, seen more and more of his work and i just am more and more convinced that he would be such an amazing batman uh, and also and i think this is equally important to anybody who plays the role i think he would be an awesome bruce wayne because you need to play <sighs> both if you can't play both you're nothing <sighs> perfect mm-hmm. perfect you you get you get a little little detective loki from prisoners you know you get a you get you get a little southpaw going, you know, with the with the body with the physique. You get a little night crawler in case he needs to be a little little sly, a little creepy as Batman. And then you get a little bit of his, you know, his performances like in, you know, stronger and you know, wildlife for Bruce Wayne, where it's just this guy, this dude who has these, you know, weird emotions that he's hiding and oh my god, Jake Gyllenhaal would knock that shit right out of the park. And I think I you know, I love some of the stuff Bale's doing, I love some of the stuff Michael Keaton's doing, but I think I think Jalen Hall would be the perfect fit for both Bruce and Batman. Great call. <laughs> yeah, he's just uh, he's an amazing actor, and I loved him as Mysterio in Spider-Man: Far From Home. I thought he fucking killed it. So yep. he, yeah, he brings it, and he seems like a really cool dude. He's really happy to be where he is. So I mean that that counts as far as I'm concerned. Humility counts. Yeah. Uh, one one of my favorite things. Fair Jake, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal quotes. It's it's this interview. You've probably seen it with GQ, and uh, uh, he's asked if he's like taking anything for granted, and he's like, "Are you kidding me? I'm an actor." <laughs> that's the kind of yeah. That's who we want in our team. Uh, at the he, he's the star of the franchise. Uh, great, great, great decision, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't think there's not anybody else who comes to mind who's in second place. It's it's Jake G. <laughs> Hell yeah. Awesome. That was fucking fun. Move aside, sister Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> <laughs> Trade one Gyllenhaal for another. Yes. Let's recap our 20 uh, recasts. Number 20, uh, Mayor Garcia, Bruce Campbell. Number 19, Mr. Earl, James Kahn. Number 18, Roland Daggett, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Number 17, Officer Foley, John C. McGinley. Number 16, Gamble, Ernie Hudson. 
Number 15, Sal Maroney, John Malkovich. Number 14, Carmine Falcone, Michael Badalucco. Number 13, John Blake, Michael B. Jordan. Number 12, Talia Al Ghul, Juliette Binoche. Number 11, Lucius Fox, Danny Glover. Number 10, Rachel Dawes, Naomi Watts. Number 9, Scarecrow, Jimmy Simpson. Number 8, Catwoman, Ruth Nega. Number 7, Raish Al Ghul, Robert Carlyle. Number 6, Bane, Javier Bardem. Number 5, Harvey Dent, Edward Norton. Number 4, Commissioner Gordon, Denzel Washington. Number three, Alfred Pennyworth, Malcolm McDowell. Number two, The Joker, Leonardo DiCaprio. And number one, Batman, Jake Gyllenhaal. I see a very cool Dark Knight trilogy with that cast. Yes, yes, I agree. And we we took it a step further. Uh, We decided to, you know, why not? If we're going to envision this cast working together, let's go ahead and give them a, a, a screenwriter and a director. So, uh, Connor, you chose, you chose a writer and I chose a director. So let's get to that. Okay. This was, this took me for fucking ever to find, to track down a writer who I thought could capture Batman better than anyone else has. And the guy I found, oh, would make the most incredible live action Batman. And I cannot believe he has never been given the role. Mr. Paul Dinney writer of 16 episodes of Batman the Animated Series, 39 episodes of Batman Beyond, creator of Harley Quinn, and the screenwriter of Batman Mask of the Phantasm and Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Nobody knows Batman like this motherfucker right here. Perfect. Oh, I'm so glad you went that route. That's exactly what I was hoping because I I chose a guy who is not attached to superhero or DC at all. Therefore, he needs that voice. He needs that voice of reason. He needs someone who knows the, knows the material, knows the craft, knows what the fans want. Now we need a guy who can bring an awesome Gotham. And I, I, want, I want a little bit of in-between Nolan and, and Burton. I want some realism, but I also want some, some kind of stage, stagery with it. So I chose Mr. Spike Lee, one of, the greatest, one of the greatest New York City directors of all time. A guy who could make Gotham so real that it would hurt. <laughs> And, uh, and it would team up with a lot of our actors very, very well. Holy shit, Spike Lee. I was, for, I was certain you were going to go Fincher. Like, I was... <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he could, he, he could kick ass. There's, there's, I, think there, I think there's a lot of people that would be cool, but I want to see Spike do something like this. And for him to do a trilogy, especially during this time in his career where I don't think a lot of cool stuff is happening from 2005 to 2012, uh, I think his his like his own filmography isn't the isn't the best during that time. Um, I do like Black Klansman and uh, The Five Bloods, some of his recent stuff, but I think if he would have filled that time with like working on this Batman trilogy with this super talented writer who knows the craft so well and all these awesome actors, I would yeah I would I would love that. I think he would make a Gotham like nobody else. A Spike Lee directed, Paul Dini written, Jake Gyllenhaal starring Batman trilogy. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Sign me up. Jesus Christ. That sounds fun. Oh, that's, that's great. That was, yeah, great, great picks, man. That was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do more of these for sure uh, in the future. 
Uh, this just seemed like one of the coolest trilogies to to do because there's so many cool actors already. The movies are good, and yeah, this is no brainer. Beautiful. This was so much fun. So that's uh, that's all for this week on the sneak preview, listeners. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in with us today to hear us talk about Batman for an hour. Or so I don't even know how long we've been going. <laughs> Fuck it. Uh, this week on Filmgasm, uh, tune into our Alien versus Predator episode on Wednesday and our Best Picture Showdown on Moonlight on Oscar Sunday. Uh, this Friday, there are four major films being released on various services. Uh, we have The Little Things in theaters and HBO Max, The Dig on Netflix, Palmer on Apple TV+, and Supernova with a limited theater release. We're going to try and cover as many of these as possible. So tune in next Monday to see what we decide to build the episode around. As usual, if there's anything that we've missed for next week's possibilities, please reach out and let us know at filmgasm at gmail.com or Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Filmgasm Productions. Hope you have a killer week, listeners. Keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.